Senator Rich Alloway is stepping down in the middle of his term in office after 10 years. He says it's his time to do so. And after you hear our conversation, you'll understand why he's walking away now. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. And I am in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania at the Gearhouse Brewing Company uh, with State Senator Rich Alloway, at least uh, for a little bit longer here. Uh, Rich, hey, it's good to be with you. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming down to Chambersburg and visiting my friends here at the Gearhouse. Yeah, I, I love these <laughs> small businesses, uh, people that think, hey, I can brew a better beer in this case. Uh, and uh, live the American dream, right? Uh, yeah. Rise and fall on, well, in here, it's uh, good-tasting beer. That's right. Yeah, and, and you know what's great about this is we've seen such an explosion of microbrews around our, our Commonwealth, and I think it's because we put some good policies in place, and it's good to see all these entrepreneurs starting up these breweries and expanding and growing, investing. It's, it's, it's amazing. Well, I think Pennsylvania <laughs> is one of uh, uh, the biggest in terms of uh, microbreweries in the country. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 In, fa- in fact, whenever whenever we started, whenever the, the, the beer group uh, started coming to see us, the small brewers, um, I, I said to them, I said, look, our vision is to make Pennsylvania the, the microbrew you know, of Napa Valley, like, like wine is to Napa. We wanted Pennsylvania to be known as the microbrew state. And it's just been tremendous. Uh, we put in the, um, the small brewers tax credit, which allowed these folks to invest heavily and invest more in growth. Because as you can see behind us, these containers aren't, aren't cheap. Yeah. Um, so quite the investment. Yeah. But it's, it's been fantastic to watch all these entrepreneurs grow. And that's well, what it's all about. And it's fitting, of course. We have Yingling in Pennsylvania, the America's oldest brewery, uh, but also being a place where all these microbrews. Well, yep. enough about beer. Uh, let's talk about uh, your views. And uh, okay. uh, let's start. You know, uh, how you uh, grew up. Where'd you grow up, Rich? And uh, tell me about your family, and uh, okay. we'll get into the politics here a little okay. bit later. But. Yeah, um, look, I'm, I'm a country boy. I, I grew up in Chambersburg, just outside of town. Um, I'm 51 years old, and uh, we lived in the country. I lived in a trailer. A lot of people don't know that. I grew up in, a, in an old trailer that we had, was on a little piece of ground that my, our grandparents gave my mom and dad. Um, didn't have much at the time. Uh, it, it, was, it was a challenge. We had big gardens, and we hunted and fished, and we lived off the land. Um, the great thing, though, is, uh, you know, looking back, I know we were we were really poor, but my family would never let me know that we were poor. We never acted poor because we were hardworking, and we just lived our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it was good. It was okay. You know, I look back on, on it all now, and I, I cherish it. I wouldn't change, you know, a thing. Um, I see people that grow up differently than me and, and have a little bit more, and I don't begrudge them that, certainly, but... It was, it was, I grew up on the land and it was cool. It was cool. I look back Ta- and say. Taught you some lessons yeah, uh, that you've carried yeah. over, yeah? Yeah, the value of hard work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I, I look back and I try, I've tried to think about where my work values came from. Mm-hmm. And I, I've spent some time thinking about this and, and I've nailed it. I know exactly where it started. It started in the orchards. I, my grandmother worked at an orchard just up around the corner from where we lived on Route 30, right outside of town. And she worked a little, little fruit stand. And when I was, I think, nine or ten, um, she got me a job there in the summer picking fruit. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I know this is where I get this from. <laughs> so here I am, like nine or ten years old, I'm out there, and they had me picking up what's called drops. The apples that fall on the ground, um, they used them to make cider. They squished them. So they had me picking up drops, and they paid me. And I, and I think these numbers are right. I think they paid me 25 cents for a big basket. 
that I would pick 25 cents, dump it in the bin, and, and that's how they count. And they knew about how many bins, you know. So I got paid by the basket, by how, how hard mm-hmm. I worked. Well, after like a week or so, the owner came to me and she said, hey, we want you to pick, pick fresh apples and, and we're going to pay you a salary. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, seriously? Oh, my gosh. I, I'm on salary. Look at me, you know. And it was like, I don't know, it was like 250 or 3 bucks or something an hour. I, I don't remember the exact number. I remember the first day out there, you know, went through the first week picking apples. And end of the week, got my paycheck. And I went, hmm, man, this seems... This doesn't seem like as much as I was making. A little light. Yeah, it's a little light than what I was making. So next week I'm out there picking and I'm starting to calculate. Now think about this. I'm like, I mean, I'm like really young, but I'm starting to calculate these numbers going, wait a minute. I, I did this and I made X and I'm doing this salary thing and I'm making less. Yeah. So I actually went back to the lady and I said, could you put me back picking drops? And she was shocked. But I started calculating. Basically, I came up with my per hour rate. Of, of picking drops at 25 cents a basket versus my salary of picking fresh. I'm like, wait a minute. I work harder. I make more money. I like this. I think I want to do this. I don't want to do the salary thing. So I, I, I know that, that it began there. It be- and and what did your parents do? Uh, uh, what, what, what jobs uh, my, were your parents my, my involved mom, My mom worked at the local A&P at the deli. Uh, my dad worked at some truck trucking company as a dispatcher. Um, you know, my, my grandfather drove a truck, uh-huh. truck driver. And my grandmother worked part-time at the apple orchards, and, but she maintained the garden. We had a huge garden. And so, so she maintained that, and I helped her. I helped weed and, and you know, pull weeds with the hoe going up yeah. and down, um, you know, picking the corn, shelling the peas. You know, we did all that stuff. And were your parents uh, politically involved or active in the community? Uh, I, I, this is where I, I want to lead to how you got a political yeah. bucket and <laughs> yeah, running yeah, for public yeah, office. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, no one in our family ever got involved in any politics, uh-huh. never discussed it at the table. Um, I mean, I was the first one in the whole family to ever go to college. I went to Shippensburg University. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it wasn't until I was um, 20 years old. Um, I owned a landscape company. Me and a buddy had a little landscape company. Okay. And um, this while you're in college uh, that you started. Uh, yeah, I dropped out of college. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had. You I, wanted to work, right? I, I, I did. Yeah. I did. I mean, that I, I was in college for a couple of years as an accounting major, but I was working two jobs, and I, I didn't see the value of college because I was working and I was making money. And, and you know, when you're 20 years old and you got a couple hundred bucks in your pocket on Friday, you're like, life's good. Yeah, what else right. do I need, right? <laughs> you know. Um, so, I uh, um, was we were doing a job for a friend of mine who was very politically active. Uh, he was the former county commissioner chairman, uh, were active in the party. Um, and he said to me, somehow he started talking politics with me. I don't even know why. I, I remember the day, like where I was, but I don't know why we talked about it. And he said, we ought to, you know, he said, he said, how are you registered? And I said, Democrat. And he was like, well, I think you should change. <laughs> now, a little sidebar. So when I turned 18 years old, um, my dad's parents, my Nana and Pap, they both worked for the government at Letterkenny Army Depot. Okay. And I said to my Nana, hey, I want to I register to vote. So she took me to the Scotland Post Office, which is where I lived at the time, <clears throat> took me down, and I filled out the form. When I got to the part that said party, I said, Nana, I said, what party do I want to be? And she said, well, the Republicans are for the rich people, and the Democrats <laughs> are for the working man. 
And I said, well, what are you and Pat? And she said, well, we're registered Democrats. Well, I want to be a Democrat uh-huh. like you. So I registered okay. Democrat okay. <laughs> until I met Warren, my uh-huh. friend Warren. And, and he said, well, maybe you should change your party and come to some meetings. So I changed to a Republican and started attending Republican meetings with him. And, and uh, what, what switch did that make in terms of, uh, well, if the Democrats are for the working people, you're still a working man. Uh, but what was it that attracted you to becoming a Republican? Simple. Ronald Reagan. Okay. Yeah. That, that, I was coming of age uh-huh. in Ronald Reagan. Uh-huh. And again, not knowing anything, but seeing this man on TV. And, 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 and as you know, when Ronald Reagan spoke, you had hope. Like you believed that there was a better future if you just worked for it. Uh-huh. And that's what my family always taught me, that we never wanted handouts. We never asked for handouts. We worked for things, and, and, and we, that's how you, you got ahead in life. And that was what Ronald Reagan preached. And so I was like, yeah, I, I like that guy. I'm not really yeah. sure who he is, but I, 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 I agree with what he's the saying. Me, the message resonated. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he's a Republican, and so that's what I believe in. And so I switched parties, started going to, you know, getting involved with the party. Then I became a committee person and, um, and all that. And, and so along the way, you say you, you, you dropped out of school, but, but you end up going back to school. You're, I mean, you're an attorney. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't just happen uh, yeah. on your own studying. But, yeah. So what led you back to go to school and eventually get uh, your law degree? Again, a, a, a seminal moment. Um, I dropped out of college because I was working two jobs. Um, me and a buddy had started a landscape company. Uh, we had four employees which that was my first foray into human relations. Uh, Realized from that point forward what a nightmare it is. You know, you show up in the morning, we got work to do, and the boys aren't there because they were either hungover or or, or they had enough money from last Friday, they just didn't want to come to work, and and you got jobs to do. I mean, just, I I learned quickly, like, oh my gosh, why aren't these guys coming to work? Um, One day, it it was a 100 degree day, and we were putting in a lawn, it was a huge lawn. It was like a one acre. And all we did, we just had rakes. We did it all by hand because oh we didn't have machines. And um, so I remember I was burnt, just burnt hard because we were out. It was an all-day job. And I'm allergic to straw. And we were spreading straw. And I was all broken out. And I was sneezing. And I, I remember thinking to myself on that day, I said, man, there's got to be something better for me. I, I, I got I to gotta do something. This, I'm not going to continue to do this. This isn't going to work for me. And uh, so I talked to my friend Warren. Uh, who got me involved in the party he was an adjunct professor at Shippensburg and he led me back to college and said you should go back and get your degree degree so I got my degree in government and went out and got another sales job did sales for a while then I worked for the senator Terry Punt the previous senator uh-huh. um, and then I just woke up one day and said I'm becoming a, a lazy bureaucrat and I don't like this I need to change and I quit that job after five years, which everyone was shocked. They're like, no, nobody, nobody quits Terry Punt's office. Yeah. Why? Look at your salary and all the benefits yeah. you have. Why would you ever leave this Pension, job? Pension, health care. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. And so I said, you know what? I'm, I'm bored. I hate it. I don't want to do it anymore. What are you going to do? I'm going to go to law school <laughs> for, for, you know, for, for, for a B student. I'm, yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, I'm going to go to law school. And um, so I just I did it. I, I, I quit Terry's office. Um, I got a sales job down here, selling advertising for a local newspaper, and I would I would sell ads from eight to three, and then I'd get in my car and drive to Harrisburg up to Widener University, and I did that for four years, going at night from six to ten, and I graduated, and I passed the bar on the first try, nice, and so I'm a lawyer, <laughs> and and when 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 they asked me when I went in, my interview why they should take me in, I told them straight up I said, I'm not going to be an A student I said. I might not be a B student, but I'm going to get through this program. I'm going to pass, and I'm going to become a lawyer, and I'm going to represent this school well. 
and I think they like that. <laughs> so you get your law degree. Yep. Uh, um, when is the first time that you're thinking, you know what, I want to run for office. I want to be an elected official. So um, right as I got my law degree, right as I graduated, um, I was studying for the bar to sit for the bar. And they did they redistricted in Franklin County the, the magisterial district judge, the DJ seats. And they put my township, which was a pretty large township, in with some some hinterland type townships, mm -hmm. some smaller ones, where there had been a, a 12 year sitting Republican judge, and I thought, I'm gonna run for that. So did you know what that uh, judge did? Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. I did. I did. I did. Yeah. yeah as a lawyer, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what he did. So, so I decided to um, uh, run for that. I was studying for the bar during the day, taking the bar classes, and then I'd go out in the afternoon and evening and knock on doors, and um, uh, I took the bar. And I didn't get my results until July, but I, I, I ran the campaign. It was May 20th was election day, and uh, I, I, beat, I beat the gentleman on both ballots, Republican and Democrat. And, and you did that for how long? You served as a, a I was MJD a district guy. judge for four years. Uh-huh. Yep. And then what happened there, it was, it was a Wednesday. Senator Terry Punt announced he was not going to seek re-election, and I went down to see him on Thursday. And at the beginning of the conversation, it was, you know, you, you don't want to do this. Why would you do this? Yeah. And then an hour later, it was, well, what if you did it? And an hour later, it was, all right, if you're going to do it, how are you going to win? <laughs> and so I woke up on Friday morning at 5 a.m. I kissed my wife, and I said, I'm quitting my job today. And she, you know, was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. I said, we'll figure it out. We'll have some money saved, and we'll just, just see. Called my grandmother, who was at the time like 80 years old and, and the lady who got me registered to vote. Uh -huh. And I said, Nan, I said, I'm quitting my job today. And she's like, oh, my, I thought she was going to have a heart attack. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you doing that? I said, well, I'm going to run for Senate. But what are you going to do? How are you going to pay your bills? I said, well, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> I said, I got some money saved. Uh, went in, submitted my resignation, packed up my stuff. And at noon, I went out and started knocking on doors and getting my campaign lined up and obviously successful yeah. uh, in that yeah. election and yeah. so you've uh, been in office uh you started what was it january of 2009, 2009. Mm -hmm. okay uh been there for i guess now uh 10 years mm -hmm. um and we'll get to uh you know why you announced your retirement but when you got there um how did how did some of your views change or your thoughts on government or your politics uh um, because we've talked about this in the past a bit, yeah. but um, what, what surprised you the most? Or, and where did you see, you know, hey, I'm, I can do some really good things. Then we'll get to some of the things, uh, the frustrations yeah. of the office. Yeah. Well, um, the first thing when I got there, you know, obviously it's important in Harrisburg to have a chairmanship because that's really where the power is that you get to control that space if you're chairman of judiciary or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the Joe Scarnati's chief of staff called me and said, hey, <clears throat> we only have two chairmanships left. And um, um, there's four of you, uh, housing and urban development and game and fisheries. And I'm like, I want game and fish. And he, they start laughing. He's like, what, really? I'm like, yeah. I said, do you know where I'm from? Yeah. And do you know that like, I hunt and fish? Like, yeah. that's my, my, uh -huh. my life, right? So I was fortunate enough to get the game and fish chairmanship. Um, look, I, I think the first thing that startled me is um, being a lifelong sportsman, um, I know a lot about hunting and fishing and, and conservation. But 
when you get in there and you start talking to all the different groups, you know, the yeah, the Ducks Unlimited, the Bow Hunters, this, the United United Hunters. Yeah. I mean, the Sports Federation. They had very d- different opposing views too. And I thought, oh my God, these people all have some different view than, than what I have. Yeah. How do you bring these sportsmen together? And I used to go to, to, to sports groups and say, the problem with sport, the sportsmen is you're all experts. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I meant that respectfully yeah, because, right, right. because what we see is what we know. Mm-hmm. You know, I go out the first day of deer season, I hunt for two days and I see four or five deer, but two mountains over, my buddy saw 30. So to his mind, what do you mean, Rich? There's all kinds of deer. Yeah. In my mind, there's no deer. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that, that's the mm-hmm. challenge that you had. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was difficult bringing the interest together. Um, after four years, I was told by a number of folks that I did more for sporting in Pennsylvania than anyone has done in the past 20 years, which I, I felt grateful for that. And but it was also a passion; it's what I cared about. So, you so know, Sunday hunting or not? I mean, right? Those are the kinds of. <laughs> oh my gosh, what an issue! You know, in fact, I, I want to tell you this: in my 10 years, Matt, I got more phone calls on Sunday hunting than any other issue. Any other yeah, I'm issue. Sure. And By it, a multiple, I'm yes, sure. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and in my office, it was 10 to 1 against Sunday hunting. Mm. It, 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 you know, in our area down here, <laughs> yeah. it, that's just how it was. Tradition, church, family, that kind of stuff. Um, so, but that, that was a big yeah. issue. So, so <laughs> look, I, what I found out, what I, what I found out was a real challenge and, and opened my eyes is how diverse Pennsylvania is. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of different perspectives. And when I would talk to our Southeast Republicans even though they had an R behind their name, they had very different views and values than I had. Mm-hmm. Um, consequently, I talked to a, a, a Pittsburgh Democrat who was pro-gun and pro-life and pro-family like me, yeah. but they had a D behind their name. And I'm like, man, this is kind of odd. It, it's kind of, you know, it depends where you mm-hmm. come from. So um, that, that was a challenge. And, 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 and to this day, it was a challenge, you mm-hmm. know, to... to have that respect for someone else who has a different view, but at the same time, try to get your views done and accomplished. And um, it gave me some consternation, as I think my friends in Harrisburg would tell you, and I think you know as well, yeah. you know, I've discussed some issues that... Uh, <laughs> Herding cats is yeah. a challenge, right? That's, yeah. that, that probably describes it uh, yeah. well. So, so what other issues uh, would get you fired up that you were passionate about during your, your 10 years here? Um, things that, uh, you know, woke you up and said, this is what I want to get done in Pennsylvania. Well, I, I'm, I have three main issues that I think have sort of come to define Rich Alloway in Pennsylvania in my 10 years. Um, first of all is I'm a huge Second Amendment guy. Um, I'm a lifelong member of the National Rifle Association. Uh, I believe to my core in the Second Amendment and what it stands for. And in fact, it's gotten to the point now where I just, and I know this is going to sound awful, but I'm not going to discuss gun control issues with people because if, if you think that, that the government can take your guns and that you're going to be protected, I, don't, I can't even have a yeah. conversation with you. I mean, these people have to understand it's the Second Amendment that checks all the rest of them, yeah. protects all the rest of them. Look around the world at dictators. What's the first thing they do? They take away the guns and the method for the people to fight back. Then they control the media and the message. That's what that's what all dictatorships and communists do. So, just please, I, I beg people before you start talking about taking guns away from the citizens, think about that. Think about putting your trust in a, a an amorphous government to protect you and your rights. It, it, it's it ain't gonna happen. Yeah. It, you 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 have the sole right and duty to protect yourself and your family 
from, from crime and people that want to harm you, not the government. Well, and of course, it's uh, those who don't obey the laws anyway that are the ones that are committing crimes. And they will do that uh, exactly. um, irrespective of how many laws we have to restrict yes. our Second yes. Amendment and, rights. And look, and I know, I know the shootings around the country are, are of concern to people. But again, I go back to when I was in high school. Matt, when I was in high school, from, from September through December, my pickup truck, of course, I drove a red pickup truck, folks. Shocked. And guess what? It had a gun rack in it. <laughs> Seriously. But guess what? Our guns were in our truck, yeah. in our gun rack all the time. We drove to school. We parked in the school parking lot because as soon as school was out, we ran out and jumped in the truck and went hunting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we did. Yeah. There was never, and there was never a gun in the school, never a school shooting of any kind. I mean, it never crossed our yeah. mind. So I ask, what has changed? The gun hasn't changed. Society has changed. Yeah. Society and, and the way the way we teach these kids that it's okay to play these games to kill people. Uh, Hollywood that glamorizes, um, you know, shooting and killing. Look at these. I, I love I love these um, these these actors like Matt Damon who go out and they bash the Second Amendment. Then they make a movie blowing people up with their guns. <laughs> I mean, it's complete hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess I would ask anyone. I I, I get that we have to look at it's how we get a grip on these mass shootings. Nobody wants that. But at the same time, don't tell me you're going to come and confiscate the guns from all the law-abiding citizens. That's not the answer. Yeah, that's not going to keep us safer. Right. Uh, that's right. for sure. So, so, so guns? Libres. Libres law, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. you know. And explain that for yeah. listeners that uh, may not know Libres law. Uh, yep. But that was something you championed. Uh, of course, uh, Governor Wolf signed it, uh, but he seems to take a lot of uh, uh, jump out in front of that parade that you created. But uh, well, talk about that. Law. Yeah, very simple. Libre's law. Libre was a um, a little Boston Terrier found in a in a, a puppy mill. Pu puppy mill. Yeah, puppy mill down Lancaster County. He was left to die. Um, someone rescued him, and he quickly became the poster child for for animal abuse. Um, just went went rampant across you know the internet and social mm -hmm. media. Um, Went in, you know, got the case, looked at it, and decided it was time for us to do something. Pennsylvania was one of the worst in the countries when it comes to protecting our animals. And, you know, what's interesting is I had some folks look at me, particularly from my own party, as to, you know, why are you, you know, Rich Alloway, Rich Alloway hunts. Yeah, yeah. he kills animals. Yeah, yeah. right, right. So, <laughs> so what I had to explain to people first is, in Rich Alloway's mind, there's three categories of animals. And I know there are people out there on both sides that disagree with this. But there's farm animals for food. Yeah. Okay. And look, and if you don't eat any, any meat, that's fine. That's your right. But I eat steak. I eat chicken. You know, I, I like eggs. You know, I eat all that stuff. So there's farm food animals. Then there's wild game that you hunt with fair chase, which I've done my whole life. You kill humanely mm -hmm. and you harvest and you eat. Mm -hmm. um, then there's pets. Mm -hmm. And pets are different because we bring them into the world. We're the ones who breed them and bring them in as pets. And then when we don't want them, we just throw them out into society. Well, you can't do that. You owe these animals a better duty of care. And, and what I said in the beginning, um, with, with, look, if there's a dog that's sick, put it down. Don't let it sit out in the cold 24-7. Don't starve it to death. Yeah. You know, do it humanely if that's what you have to do. So, you know, Libre's Law was a big encompassing bill that, that toughened the animal cruelty laws. Um, it tougher, toughened some, some laws on uh, horse cruelty. That was kind of a separate area. Mm -hmm. um, and tying your animal out 24-7. You know, I got a lot of pushback from the Farm Bureau, which I, I, I said to all those farmers, which I grew up on and worked on a farm most of my life. I said, I don't understand this from you folks. Show me a farm dog that's tied up. When yeah. you go to a farm, yeah. the farm dogs run the farm. And guess what? They know when it's 10 degrees where to go find hay and stay yeah. warm. And when it's 100 degrees, they know where the shade is. 
my three dogs, if my dogs stayed outside overnight any night, they, they would probably die they, they would, because they don't know what to do. You know, they're, they're, they're pocket pet dogs that, yeah. that we breed that have no natural ability to defend themselves. They would get run over by a car because they don't know to get out of the way of a car. You know, so all I ask is that we treat animals like that with a little higher level of care than, you know, if you're going to go hunt and shoot something, that's different. Or if you're killing chickens for your table, that's different. So has uh, the laws been in place for how long now? What's, uh, uh, probably about two years now. Okay. And um, what's re- what have been the results? Has it done what you, uh, you know, sought to, the problem you sought to solve? It hasn't been perfect. But, Matt, like any law, you're not going to legislate away some type of behavior. Yeah. The, 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 big, the big point of this law was to make people aware that this is not acceptable behavior. You can't beat your dog. You can't starve your dog. You can't tie your dog out 24-7 without any food, shelter, water. Um, so the first goal for me was to get education to say, look, don't do this yeah. anymore. Kind of like, hey, it's, it's smart to wear a seatbelt, right? <laughs> right? Now we just, it's, right. it's natural, right? right. Uh, there was a lot of fighting. I mean, I can remember right. as a yeah. kid. Yeah. Freedom, <laughs> yeah, it's my freedom. Yeah, I, yeah. I understand yeah. that. So, um, you know, that, that was, I, I think overall the, the law has been good. It's been positive. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of places, though, in P- rural Pennsylvania, we don't have um, animal cruelty or animal enforcement officers. So that's been a little bit of a challenge. Um, so it's fallen on the police. And I understand that, you know, there, there's, there's still some challenges facing that. But I think it was a good first step. I think people understand now better, you know, that, that this is this is a little bit different mm-hmm. than hunting or cows or chickens. Um, so overall, I think it's been positive. And, and, you know, there's always unintended consequences where you hear the outlier of a story. And, you know, look, we do the best we can. We can't control everybody's behavior. But I think overall it's been positive. Okay. So, so that, that, that's yeah. been a great, a great thing. And, and the, your, your third uh, thing that you're passionate the, about. The third thing I'm passionate about is, is, is a little bit um, controversial. Uh, it's called clean water. And um, well, who can be, who's opposed well, to clean water? Well, yeah, yeah, you know, you would think so. <laughs> and, 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 and one of the things I've tried to lead my conservative friends to is we're conservatives. Conserve, conservation. <laughs> Um, you know, don't destroy the resource for the next generation. You need to have some responsibility. I want your kids and your grandkids to be able to hunt in woods without trash. I want them to be able to fish in streams that they can eat the fish. You know, I want them to be able to swim in a stream, drink their clean, clean water. I remember not too long ago, Matt, when the Fish and Boat Commission uh, put out um, regulations to not keep and eat trout because of mercury in, in, in the food or in the, in the streams. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, who do you want a life like that? I mean, you know. So so now now the question though becomes the how how right how, how do, do you do, do that? it? Yeah, and and that's where that's where things can get a little bit left or right. Yeah. But I, I I said to my Republican friends, look, protecting our water resources is not some left wing wacko. Yeah. I mean, it's just not. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a tree hugger. You guys know that. Uh, I, I'm on well water, so I uh, fully understand right. uh, that. Right. Right. So so I come at it from a conservationist perspective. You know, I want to protect our woods and forests and streams for your children so they can do the same things that I did when I grew up. And, you know, we can be smart about these things. We have technologies. One of the biggest bills I introduced, we got it out of the Senate. It got hung up in the House a little bit, and and I understand that. Um, I'm going to, I think I'm going to reintroduce it. I think I'm going to pass it off to someone else. (laughs) But I want to get it back down to the House again. It uh, it was Senate Bill 799. It's my clean water legislation. What this does is this engages private technology companies, for-profit private companies to solve our water problems. I said to my caucus, 
if you think that government is going to solve our clean water issues in the Chesapeake Bay, you're not going to like my bill. Okay, that, that, that's not what this does. If you want private companies and private technology to come in and, and work on this problem, this is what this is all about. This allows a private technology to invest their private money on a farm with a farmer and say, hey, hey, farmer Matt, I can come on, you, you milk 500 head of cow. I can come in there and we can put this technology of mine to work and we can gather up all your, all your waste manure and we can create energy that you can use back in your, in your farm and I can create fertilizer that, that you can sell and we, we're going to have nutrient tax credits that we can trade as well. And because uh, when, when the runoff is, uh, that is what's going into the streams and you've got a lot of fertilizer and obviously yeah, yeah. all the waste, that, that's what this is to solve? Yeah, and, and, and you, you have what's called the daily maximum load uh, th- this is highly regulated yeah. on farmers. So if Matt wants to grow his, his herd to 600 cattle, he can't because he can't get rid of his manure and he's not allowed to allow any more of it to go into the stream. So you're going to have to truck it somewhere out of the watershed, which is very expensive. So I say, hey, Matt, I can do this. I can cut your manure uh, and, your, and, your, and your daily uh, load going into the water and you can expand your cow herd. How about that? Well, and uh, part of this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is that there are mandates coming from the federal government of what can go into, say, the Chesapeake yes. Bay. Yes. And so there, the federal government is basically telling the state, you need to reduce uh, these the, the, the emissions right yep. into the streams. And you can either do that through government uh, uh, projects, right, yep. building Yep. Uh, more facilities, yep. um, and you're saying, hey, there's a private uh, sector solution to this that would be cheaper for taxpayers? Is that uh, way, what you're saying? Way, way cheaper, yeah. way cheaper. And, and, and look, there are dozens of great technologies out there that can clean up the waterways and, and get this manure out. And again, that these private businesses will invest their own money in to do. Yeah. And see, here's the problem, though. And if they don't deliver... Uh, they don't get the credits that's, or that's right. Paid, See, right? That, that, yeah. That's the beauty that I keep telling yeah. the left uh, that, that doesn't like this. I said, look, they, they say, well, you know, they're going to take uh, tax dollars with, with, with credits, um, but they don't get anything until they show that they've done what they said. And DEP in Pennsylvania would verify the credit. Mm-hmm. So nothing happens until DEP says, yeah, yeah, you did what you said <laughs> you were going to do. Again, look, it's a private sector solution. And, and I, I get that there are a number of people in the environmental left that, that don't want a... They don't want any business profiting yeah. off of a public problem, but that's the only way we're going to solve yeah. it. Because the other way is way too expensive. We can't afford exactly. the, the solution. We, we, we can't afford it. And guess yeah. what? What else I came to learn through this fight? There are a number of environmental groups that don't want to solve the problem mm. because it's their boogeyman that helps mm. them raise money and exist. And that's the truth. And that's unfortunate. And, and believe me, I've thrown those people out of my office because I want people that are going to solve the problem. And the way to solve this problem is to engage public sector technology, put a man and woman's mind to this, and they'll figure it out way better than government ever can. So I'm, I hope this bill gets across the finish line, and I hope that someday I get credited in my yeah. legacy for pushing it. But I, I believe in it a thousand percent. So with with all the passion for all these issues, Rich, uh, you announced uh, uh, last month that you were uh, hanging it up, uh, that February 28 is your last day as a state senator. Um, what's happened uh, now the 10 years that you've been there uh, you're saying hey it's time time for me to move on well yeah see now you got me all fired up and <laughs> want, wanting to go fight and ready to go um, y- you know when I got into this position um, I had worked in and around politics f- for a while mm-hmm. as I described um, 
I've seen some of the pitfalls that, that people that went before me fell in. And I, I learned from that. And I promised myself that I wouldn't fall in those same pitfalls. And to me, one of the biggest pitfalls is people just stay there too long because they don't have any other options in life or they're afraid to, to, to quit and walk away and step, step outside of it. Um, I just, I told myself I was never going to be here for 20, 20 or 30 years. I promised myself I wouldn't. Did I you think a, you'd be here 10 years? I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. But, yeah. but, but what I did do is I put down some markers when I first took office for myself. I said, when you start thinking like this, when you start doing stuff like this, and I knew what they were because I saw people do it before me, I said, please be strong enough to step up and walk away. Mm. You have to. You have to. Because it's a disservice to the taxpayers for you to stay there and not give 110% and be passionate about what you do. And there's lots of other people that would like to do this as well. So you need to step aside and let some fresh eyes and fresh energy come in. And I, um, at the end of last term, you know it was pretty ugly in Harrisburg for Senate Republicans regarding the church sex scandal stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and we were called all kinds of, of pretty horrific names openly by the media um, that, that were unfair and hurtful. Um, and I saw Joe Scarnati go through that, our pro tem, and, and I got attacked by it. And I was just feeling pretty down about just everything. And I thought, well, go home, get through the elections here, and then I'll come back and I'll, I'll be revved up and ready to get. Because you weren't, you weren't up for real Yeah, I election. wasn't up, yeah. So I thought, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come back and I'll, I'll, my attitude will be better and I'll be fired up and be rejuvenated. I sat on the floor for swearing-in day and, and this, this deluge came over me. Just, just depressive, negative feelings. I don't want to be here. Time. I don't, I don't want to be here. And I knew it. I, I left the floor midway through the proceedings mm. because mm. I didn't want to be there. I just don't care anymore. I don't, I don't care about being the senator, dealing with these issues. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I know in my heart I wasn't there. Yeah. So I went down to my office, and it just, again, I, it just... It's yeah, and some might criticize you for that, but, but I think the failure for that introspection uh, and to say, you know what, I've done my time, because we know that there are a lot of hangers-on yeah. uh, in this, and yeah. unfortunately they're not serving constituents well. Uh, and in fact, you could say that they are harming Pennsylvania and pre preventing things from going forward. So um, I know it was a shock to everyone watching, uh, seeing you rise in leadership and, and uh, obviously seniority is also helpful there for you to say, I'm walking away. Uh, what are you walking away to, Rich? Uh, what's uh, what are, well, what, what's yeah. your next career? What are your next well, plans? Well, first of all, I mean, yeah, the walking away. And you know what? That that I know people see it as just somehow I'm giving up something wonderful and, and amazing and it was it was a great experience I, I i'm so glad i had this experience but it's it's walking away keeping your your integrity in your heart to let someone else do the job who can probably do it better now and and i, I thought i would be applauded for that yeah um unfortunately <laughs> there's some folks that i i'm not sure what the reason is but they want to smear you and do things to you and say some stuff so uh that that's been unfortunate to deal with but Look, I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm a lawyer, as we said. Mm -hmm. uh, I paid a lot of money for that law degree. I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into getting that degree. You know, not being a, an A-B student, that was a struggle for me. Um, so I'm, I'm going to hang out my shingle, Alloway Law Office, here in Chambersburg. I'm going to be here in Chambersburg. Um, I'm gonna have, I, I have a small office kind of ID'd right now. Um, I'm going to do some business consulting. I, I hope that I can bring value to, to the table for businesses, particularly in the DEP area, in the environmental protection. Yeah. 
with my knowledge of how government and DEP works and regulations, but also my belief that, that business and technology can figure these things out. So I, I want to hopefully advise those folks. But, you know, um, everybody seems to want to pin me down to something. And I, and I got to tell you, I don't have any clients yet. I don't have any money coming in yet, to which my wife said the same thing. How are we going to pay our bills? I said, this, well. This seems to be par for the course. I know, I know. The thing that's interesting is if you look back over the course of my history, I do this that's, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do. I, 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 and I, it comes out all right. Well, listen, I've always believed in myself and my abilities. And I've been an, an outdoor salesman my whole life. Mm-hmm. I've been the person who, who I live by commission most of my life. I eat what I kill. And if I don't kill, I don't eat. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always found that that motivates me to be my best. And it keeps me sharp. And I've done well with that. So I believe in myself. Um, I don't know what the future holds, um, but I believe that, that I'm going to have value to somebody and I'm going to work hard and, and make it fi- figure it out. Again, I, I don't know yet, but I, I'm okay. I'll yeah. be all right. Well, thank you for your service, your thank time, you. uh, 10 years, fighting the good fights that uh, I know uh, it takes a lot for people to run for public office, to offer yourself out there. And you've experienced a lot of the slings and arrows uh, yeah. because there's always, uh, you know, you're going to upset 50% of the people usually, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. but thank you for doing that for your time of service. And I wish you well in your next career. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you around, uh, um, if not in the, the, the fields hunting uh, in yeah. Harrisburg sometime. Maybe in Alaska fishing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. indeed. Thank thanks you. For, yep, thanks Thank you a lot much. for coming on. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.